So today is the 8th of August, 2021. It's the Lunar Observance Day of the New Moon, the 15th lunar day of the 8th month. And so we see that the monastic rains retreat have pa- has passed uh, 15 days already. And we see that the days and nights are relentlessly passing by. And the Buddha taught us to ask ourselves, what are we doing uh, with our time as it passes by like this? We see that beings in the world are lost and deluded, lost in the kilesas, the defilements, and constantly creating karma uh, with defilement. So we see having these defilements, then we do karma uh, based on defilement, whether karma of the body, uh, kaya, kama, of uh, speech, wacha, kama, or of the mind, mano, kama. And these three types of uh, karma or action give rise to karmic results or vipaka karma. And these karmic results arise uh, in the mind and in one's experience. And so this uh, karma uh, being made uh, pushes one to experience uh, the six senses, uh, taste, touch, uh, smell, sight, uh, taste, and mental objects. So it cycles around like this, because after one experiences the six senses, and based on the sense contact, uh, defilement arises again, and then uh, karma arises again, the results of karma arise again, one uh, meets with renewed experience again, So we train our minds to improve them. We train them following this Noble Eightfold Path, the way to the cessation of suffering and stress. So we practice and we just chanted tonight uh, the teaching on the Noble Eightfold Path, this path of sila, samadhi, and panya, virtue, collectedness, and wisdom. We consider the right speech, for instance, to speak uh, no falsehood, not speaking maliciously, not speaking harshly, not speaking idly, but to speak the truth. And then there's the karmas of the body that one refrains from in terms of right action, uh, not harming, not stealing, uh, not engaging in sexual misconduct, not uh, drinking alcohol, engaging in right livelihood. So this is all about the five precepts. It's about virtue. And in terms of right livelihood, it's uh, for monastics, that's going on alms round. And then in terms of right view, we have uh, seeing according to the truth, which is seeing uh, suffering, the cause of suffering, the ending of suffering, and the way to the ending of suffering, which is this path of sila, samadhi, and panya, the way to the cessation of suffering. So we've all heard about this, and we understand it uh, intellectually, because it's something we've probably heard many times. However, our energy and strength of heart to practice and train in this path may not be very much. 
we see in the present day in society, people getting old, people getting sick, people dying, people separating from that which they love. And so we should uh, bring this into our hearts to contemplate. We contemplate that life is unsure like this, and death is for sure. Death is something certain. The end of all our lives must end in death. Life is something unsure and unstable. Uh, death is for sure. So we accept the truth of death. And this is a one of the kamatanas, one of the meditation objects to bring the mind to peace and collectedness. And then when the mind is peaceful and collected like this, then we can experience the truth of the Dhamma. And we know that in truth, there's no one there who dies. It's just these four elements of earth, air, fire, and water arising and ceasing according to causes and conditions. There's no being there. There's no me or mine. Uh, it's just the, it's just the aggregates, the four elements arising and ceasing. And so we train in bodily mindfulness. The first foundation of mindfulness, that of mindfulness of the body. And it's being mindful of the inner body and the outer body. The inner body is uh, our own body. The outer body is the body of others. So we ask in terms of the inner body, uh, what is there? There are the, the bones, the various organs, like the lungs, the heart, the liver, the spleen, the intestines, the brain, and so on, the blood, the lymph, uh, the bile, uh, saliva, and so on. So we contemplate in this uh, inner body uh, what are the various components of it. So we have mindfulness and contemplate the body in this way. We train the mind not to go out, but to stay in with the body, not to send the mind out uh, outside the body. In this way, the mind can become gathered and peaceful. This is a way of practicing the Dhamma. And this method of Dhamma practice is capable of bringing us to understanding the truth of reality, the truth of the Dhamma. So in terms of samadhi, this collectedness, unification of mind, uh, we can also use the breath mindfulness of the breathing, which can bring up the experience of rapture and happiness, applied thought, sustained thought, one-pointedness of mind. So this is uh, one of the goals of Dhamma practice. And one can enter the first jhana, second, third, and fourth jhanas. But don't worry about this. Uh, don't worry about the jhanas like this. Because to know and see the Dhamma, uh, we don't know when that will happen. We don't know what lifetime uh, wisdom and true knowledge will arise. We just don't know. At whatever point this knowledge does rise, this clear understanding does arise, the mind becomes bright. And at this moment of clarity and brightness, the mind is not in jhana at that point. It can happen when one is listening to Dhamma. It can happen when one is contemplating Dhamma, that this clear knowing arises and the mind becomes bright and radiant.
it's at this point that wrong views change into right views. One sees that which one clung to as me and mine and self. One sees that it's not self, not me and not mine. One sees this clearly, which is seeing the Dhamma. And one may ask, is it is this something difficult or is it easy? You know, it's really just as it is. It's just the way it is. Uh, some people do see the Dhamma clearly. So we can see it's not impossible. It does happen, so it's not that hard. But it's also not that easy because not everyone uh, sees it. So we must put forth effort and contemplate and the results arise in their own time. Because the Dhamma uh, gives results not according to time, not according to place. So therefore, whether in the posture of sitting, standing, walking or lying down, may you have effort to train your heart and mind uh, to practice the Dhamma, to have mindfulness, to contemplate the inner body and the outer body, contemplate both the inner body and the outer bodies is not beautiful. And this can reduce delusion bit by bit. Because normally we cling to all mentality as self. We cling to materiality as permanent and that which brings pleasure and happiness to us. And we use these material things to try to gain happiness and pleasure in the world. But we contemplate according to truth. We can ask ourselves, well, is this really true? Is it really the way it is that this brings uh, happiness? And the happiness and pleasure we get, does it last very long? And when we investigate, we see that actually the pain and suffering is more than the pleasure and happiness. And the Buddha taught that that which we like in the six senses of the taste, touch, smell, uh, sight, mental objects and sounds, whatever we like, we make effort to try to obtain that, try to get that pleasure. And then we have the uh, pleasure and happiness arise based on that sense experience. But then we see that the happiness and pleasure we get is very little compared with the suffering. The suffering is actually a lot, lot more. So the pleasure is very little, the suffering is a lot. And actually that which we call pleasure and happiness is merely a reduction in the quality of stress and suffering. And we can contemplate, well, is this uh, really the way it is? Is this uh, teaching true? And we can see that well, we, we may have a lot of things or the state of having many material things. We may consider that this is uh, very pleasurable or it's a uh, state of happiness. But we separate from these things. Problems arise and this is suffering arising. If we cling and attach to these things a lot, then more problems arise. And even to the point where it destroys our body, it destroys our life. Because when one has a lot of things and people may destroy them or one loses them, and this gives rise to aversion and anger. So therefore one contemplates the inner and outer body according to truth sees that all things are impermanent. 
So do this a lot, do this often, to see clearly that the body is not self, not a me or a mine, a you or a yours. Uh, just this much, this is understanding the truth of the way things are. This is understanding the Dhamma. And contemplating just in this way, one is capable of seeing the Dhamma. So may you have energy and effort to sit for long periods of time. For the monastics, may you have effort to do this. You may get sore, uh, tired, and painful. And you can ask, well, is this Vedana? Is this feeling? Is it mine? Is it me? You may sit for a long time. And before you went to sit for a long time, uh, did you want that pain? Did you ask for that pain? Uh, you didn't want it. You didn't ask for it. And then the pain, the sensations arise. And you train your mind just to know the sensations as they arise. We see that the nerves in the body uh, send signals to the brain, and the brain knows these signals and sends the information that this is pain, this is discomfort. This is for the purpose of uh, fixing or curing that pain to return the body to a uh, stable or healthy state. So we train ourselves uh, with this experience of pain. And when the body hurts like this, it's not that we're training ourselves in the way of self-torture. It's not like that. This isn't the wrong way of practice. Sometimes we practice like this. And we can see that when the mind gathers in samadhi, it becomes peaceful, it's possible to overcome these painful feelings. This is possible. One sees that feeling is just feeling. There's no self there, no me or mine. One can overcome it like this. So give it a try. Uh, practice like this and try it out. And when the mind becomes peaceful, then the body and mind feel light and at ease. The mind separates from the body. And at this point, one can see clearly that the body is not self. And one may ask, well, are all Dhamma practitioners capable of this? And, and the answer is yes, all the practitioners are capable of doing this, of practicing to this point. So before ordination, one may study Dhamma and Vinaya and the teachings. I read books and listen in to the great teachers, the Kubhajans, uh, many of them practice meditation as well. And one may, the mind becomes peaceful easily. And for myself, uh, this was the case. I'd listen to the Dhamma and sit in meditation and being with Lumpu Cha, we'd listen to his Dhamma and then sit there can be a great fullness of heart, uh, rapture, and joy, uh, lightness in the body and mind. And this was at the point where I had already ordained. But before I ordained, when I was uh, still a layperson, my mind was able to gather into stillness and peace and know the truth of the way things are. The mind became very bright and luminous uh, for three days and three nights there was a great rapture. So this is seeing the Dhamma. This is seeing the nature of reality. 
seeing that all things are impermanent, stressful and not self, uh, seeing this clearly. And this was the point where the views in the mind changed. They changed a lot. And when one is able to practice to this point, this is a great amount of happiness. It is uh, truly a great happiness. So therefore we practice to cultivate merit and goodness. If one has a lot of wealth and material things, um, then one uses this to build parami, spiritual virtues. If one just saves a lot and puts away a lot of one's wealth and stores it, and then one dies, it doesn't bring one any, any use or any benefit. So to see the truth of the Dhamma clearly, this is something uh, deep and subtle. And at this point, one's faith in the Buddha's teachings, the faith in the Buddha sasana is very firm, uh, becomes incredibly firm to the point of unshakability, of unshakable faith. So may you strive to practice Dhamma, uh, and practice in a way that's uh, genuine and wholehearted. May you be firm in your effort. May you strive with uh, strength and firm intent, not retreat or give up, but to have effort continuously uh, to chant and to practice right effort. And if one has um, bad or unskillful thoughts, or unwholesome states, try not to cling to them because this will just lead the mind to more agitation but you can chant uh, it to be so 108 times, for instance, then these uh, unskillful or bad thoughts will reduce gradually. And then when wholesome thoughts and good thoughts arise, uh, take good care of them. And remember that the highest wholesome state is that of uh, mental cultivation, meditation, and bring the mind to samadhi, to this firm establishment of mind, and do it uh, to make it right samadhi, correct samadhi. So we have effort to be mindful as well, to have right mindfulness, have effort to avoid and cut off any unwholesome states, to avoid those unarisen and to cut off those that are arisen in terms of unwholesome states. And before, or in the beginning, we have a disliking towards these unwholesome states. We may have uh, strange thoughts or unusual thoughts, unwholesome thoughts. And we may ask, well, are these thoughts mine? And we cling to them as me and mine. We cling to all of these thoughts as mine. And we may have read the text and we study and we really want our thoughts to be good and wholesome. And when the thoughts are good and wholesome, then we feel at ease. But when the thoughts are unwholesome and bad, it's as if we fall into hell. We feel like we've fallen into hell. And we are clinging to them because we don't want these unskillful states. We don't want these bad thoughts. We don't even want a single bad thought. But we can ask ourselves, well, is it possible to not even have a single bad thought arise? 
and we see our, if our mindfulness is not firmly established, uh, then the mind uh, must have some proliferation and have some thinking. So one should understand that it's normal and natural for this to be the case. Just know these thoughts with mindfulness and then let them go. Practice not to have liking or disliking, but whatever mood or sense object arises, just know it and let it go. Practicing in this way, one can be at ease. But in the beginning, one can't do this all the time. One has uh, strange or unusual thoughts, and so uh, establish oneself in restraint and carefulness with this. Have patient endurance first and keep practicing. And in the end, one will understand these thoughts clearly and they'll reduce by themselves. The unusual or painful thoughts will reduce gradually. And then when the mind is gathered in samadhi, it's possible that one won't have any thoughts at all. Even if one wants to proliferate and wants to have thoughts, the mind just won't proliferate and won't think. So therefore we must continue to have effort in our practice to really set our hearts on this, not to give up, not to retreat, but to continue to practice to give rise to genuine wisdom. So we have these feelings arise in the mind and we have mindfulness to know, well, how is the state of the mind? Have mindfulness with the mind, whether the mind is in a painful state or a pleasurable state, a meritorious state, a demeritorious state, a state of anger or no anger, a greed or no greed, delusion or no delusion. I know all these mind states as they are. Have mindfulness to know these states in time and see that all these states are just as they are. The mind is just the mind. Mind states are just mind states. There's no self to be found in any of it. Whether meritorious or demeritorious, it's all anatta, not self. We see uh, good states and painful states. We know them and let them go. Uh, don't cling to them as self may think in uh, demeritorious or unskillful ways and see that this is just a conditioned formation of mind and put it down, let it go. Just know it, practice to be the knower of these phenomena. See the mind is just the mind. There's no me or mine, you or yours. It's just the mind. So know this. Sometimes you'll be able to do this, sometimes not. So continue to have patient endurance and practice and it'll improve bit by bit. And one will see that there's no self there to be found. We see that all of it is Dhamma. It's all Dhamma arising and ceasing. And all these Dhammas, the 37 wings to awakening, are here to help us to know and see the Dhamma the Noble Eightfold Path, the seven factors of awakening, the five uh, faculties, the five powers, the four bases of success, the four uh, noble truths, and so on, the four foundations of mindfulness. They're all dhammas that help us to know and see the dhamma. 
And this includes uh, wholesome and unwholesome dhammas are all dhammas, all the same. The five hindrances are dhammas. It's all dhamma, and none of it has an owner. It's all ownerless. And we can see the example of Lumpu Tongrat. He saw everything as dhamma. There was one uh, elderly woman who uh, was lost in a state of aversion and was criticizing and getting angry at Lumpu Tongrat. And Lumpu Tongrat bowed to her and said, the Dhamma has arisen, the Dhamma has arisen. So this is one example. There's also one uh, great monk, Lumpu Onko, uh, a great teacher in Ayutthaya, who is a bodhisattva, a teacher of Lumpu Rasi Lingdam. And when someone would die, he would bow to the corpse as Dhamma as the Dhamma of impermanence, suffering, and not self. So we see that everything is Dhamma. The body is the Dhamma. So may you set your hearts on this practice. Today is the one pra, the Lunar Observance Day. So we practice Dhamma with firm effort to walk on this noble eightfold path. And you don't know, tonight, Maybe the night you see the Dhamma clearly and overcome suffering. Uh, you don't know, it's not sure. So may you all set your hearts on this Dhamma practice. <laughs>